The Block Talk podcast started because of my passion for the property management industry. I wanted to start a conversation and add some value within the industry with a diverse range of people and professionals who can add something extra. As we start out, my aim is that the podcast offers some useful insight into a variety of views, opinions, thoughts, and foresights from our guests who include business leaders and industry experts. If you enjoy the podcast and want to find out any other information, head on over to brianwelsh.co.uk. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Block Talk Podcast with me, Brian Welsh and Jack Spruce. Jack, how are you? Um, yeah, yeah, I'm good. Had quite a nice weekend. Um, I was at the gym last night though, and I've hurt my finger, which is I've got a black and blue finger today. <laughs> it's a bit odd, but um, yeah. Apart from that, I'm I'm well. How are you doing? Well, I was definitely not at the gym last night. That's for sure. Although I did, um, I do row. I do row. I have a row machine in the house, and I do row most mornings for about 10, 15 minutes. So, which I'm building up, which I'm which I'm thoroughly enjoying, actually. So, yeah, oh, that is my um, that is me trying to get fit again. But, well uh, we'll see. We'll see how long it lasts. <clears throat> so today we have the pleasure of welcoming back Dr. Nigel Glenn, who was our first Block Talk guest about a year ago. So marking one year of the podcast, um, when we spoke to Nigel last time, he was, let's call it between jobs. Um, and indeed, that was because the IRPM and Armour were um, were merging. And now Nigel joins the newly created Property Institute as exec chair. Um, there's been quite a lot of movement and obviously cladding remediation over that last year or so. I'm looking forward to, to catching up with Nigel on these subjects again. So, Nigel, thanks again for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm fine, Brian, and, and thanks for the, for the invite. Same to you, Jax. Um, hard to believe a whole year has zoomed by, isn't it? But, yeah, good Lord. I, I'm, I'm not talking for anyone else, but certainly yours seem to go by a lot quicker the older I get. But I'm <laughs> yeah, I noticed that as well. I, um, I try and point that out to people in their 20s saying, you'll be 60 tomorrow, but uh, it doesn't go down well when you say that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but then they realise you are right. Yeah, so. Okay, so the last time we spoke uh, about a year ago, there was very much a transition period. Um, you're now exec chair of the Property Institute. Um, how's that going? How is it different to what you were doing before? And and I guess the most important thing, are you enjoying it? Um, yeah, it's going very well. Um, I, I learned more about mergers. I've done mergers before, but never sort of um, helping lead uh, lead before. I've always been part of it. So uh -huh. I certainly learned more about um, VAT and HMRC taxes and so forth than, than I ever wanted to. It's it is enjoyable. It's it's different, very different being a, a chair, although I do have the word exec in there, from being a CEO. So it's, mm -hmm. it's nice to learn new skills, but it's, it's, it's gone very well. Andrew's really stepped up to the plate as, as CEO, which we always knew he would. So that's that's a tremendous relief, and he, he's leading away on the building safety. The board's in place and effective because we, we had the foresight to put a shadow board in months beforehand, or probably about six months beforehand. So it was seamless okay. on the day. Uh, everybody cool. knew what they were up to. Nearly all the committees are up and running, and we, we've been engaging with government who got the head round TPI almost immediately. So no, it's, it's, it's going swimmingly, actually. 
Good, excellent. And you're enjoying it, yeah? I am. I am. Like I say, it's different, so it's always nice learning new stuff. And and one of the things I've done is Andrew kindly has taken over building safety, which was consuming my life. And I've now started to look on behalf of the TPI at net zero, which would have taken up our time had it not been for building safety. And we're, we're sort of a little, little surprised by the, again, the scale and the similarity of the tasks facing us on, on achieving net zero. And of course, with the short-term energy prices. So it's keeping very busy from that point of view. Okay, I'm sure we'll come on to that in the future or or or, or later on in this. Um, so, can you um, can you tell us um, your hopes for the future of the Property Institute and how it will benefit the industry and how that merge will benefit or or, or is benefiting already? Sure. I mean, the TPR continues to grow, and I, I hope it, it will keep going. And I think that just it shows that more and more people see the relevance of joining a professional body. Um, I mean, the, the 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 challenge there is, of course, to stay relevant to your members. So you need to think about what what do you offer them. And you're saying, you know, how how do you benefit for the industry? I think if we look at the industry per se, just the sector, the property managers. You know, we we help train up new entrants, um, we, give, do, we do exams, we help people and, and firms understand how to be more professional, education, ongoing training. Uh, a big thing we do is to look to the future to understand the big problems. So building safety and net zero I've touched on, you know, what data will we need as a sector? Because otherwise, as Andrew always memory puts it, um, stating something without data is just an opinion. So we do we do get a lot of data on our, from our members to, to back up arguments. We signal to members upcoming legislation, how it will affect them, how best to prepare. Um, and a big thing, of course, we represent the industry to government in terms of consultation responses, select committees. I think we've got 29 consultations on the go at the moment. Wow. So we do all of that. And then the public as well. I won't just say we just help you know, ourselves. We do help the public as well. So we engage a lot with government pointing out where legislation can be improved to help leaseholders, where things aren't working. So like energy prices we're, we're, we're on at the moment and make suggestions how to improve them. So there's, there's lots we can do and, and, and do do. That's excellent. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a. I guess now that you've done it, uh, it was a no-brainer. Those those two businesses merging, and, or organisations merging. So um, certainly does seem, and, and especially when we spoke to Andrew on the podcast recently as well, he was, you know, he was um, saying of the the praises of and and and, and um, all the positive things that you've done since that. Um, so we did speak to Andrew. If you want to talk about this actually, because we did touch on this before um, when we spoke to Andrew in July. He was a little frustrated at what was happening with the cladding remediation at the time. Um, I think the Secretary of State had issued a letter. Here we are a few months on. Um, do you have any views on that situation or will we talk about something else? Um, well, Andrew's, as I mentioned, completely in the driving seat in this. So I, I don't want to presume to tread on his toes. My, my focus um, now is on net zero and energy. So I think Let's leave Andrew to do to building safety because that's what he's he's focused on, uh, and so I think it would be inappropriate for me to, to to comment on that simply because that's his bailiwick. Okay, cool. So let's talk about net zero. Before we started recording, we were talking about electric cars and such like, and mm. and, and things, and just having a general chat. Do you want to um, tell us what um, the Property Institute are doing and what you know? I mean, it's, it's, you're obviously quite passionate about this. So, um, what where where that's going and what you're what you're involved in. Sure. Uh, I mean, I suppose I'm passionate because originally uh, my training was as a zoologist, so I'm very much an environmentalist. So I, I'm a great supporter of net zero. I'm a great believer that climate change is doing what it's doing. Um, as an aside, I, I wrote the uh, extractive industry strategy as a consultant for the Worldwide Fund for Nature uh, wow. at one stage okay. in my career. Um, yeah, we're, we're, we're at early days on net zero. So building safety took our 
total focus um, for five years. I'm not saying building safety is over, but now, again, an advantage of the merger is Andrew can concentrate fully on building safety. And I, I picked up net zero and we're, get, we're, we're looking at, horrified is not quite the word for it, but we can see the scale of the problem and the scale of the issues. Part of that is, again, just legislation. Leasehold doesn't lend itself to the net zero agenda. You yeah. know, if, if, if you go to a block of flats and say, you can have a gas boiler, or you can have this lovely green thing called a heat pump, but it costs three times as much to buy and twice as much to run. Quite understandably, if I was living in that block of flats, I'd be going, well, I'm only going to be here five years. So why would I pay three times as much for something which I'm only going to benefit from five years? Sure. So we have to figure out you know, incentives and ways around that. Um, we're looking at different aspects. So you've got, if you look at a block of flats, you've got the heat generation, because heat networks, confusingly, uh, you know, I always think of those as things like the, the combined heat and power at Spitalfields, but the government defines heat networks as blocks of flats as well. So we, we, we sit in with bays and, and D-lock on those. Okay. You, can, you can look at the central plant. Um, what are you going to do? How can you do it? Over what time scale and what will it cost? You know, do you stay with gas? Do you move to hydrogen? Do you go heat pumps? If so, where do you put them, et cetera, et cetera. You can then try to look inside the flat, but that's where you get in, obviously, difficulty with leasehold because yeah. an Englishman's home is this castle and managing agents don't go through the front door. Yeah. But that's going to get tricky because people are going to say, I want to rent or sell my flat. So in future coming up, I'll need an EPC of um, C or above but I, I can't change all the double glazing on my own, can I? So yeah. it's, it's going to get a bit tricky from that point of view. We've got EVs, um, you know, installing those. Again, leasehold is very difficult there because quite rightly, it stops a, a landlord doing what's known as improvements. But of course, putting in an EV point is an improvement. So you can't fund it. And I, I, there's a whole bunch of stats on, on that as well. And then there's alternative energies that we're, we're looking at. So there's tons and tons to go through. And, and again, we're, we're in data gathering mode at the moment. How many heat networks are out there? What's their capacity? What can we do? The other thing we're, we're very heavily involved with the government at the moment is what, what, if anything, can we do about current energy prices? Um, and so there's lots of ideas floating around there about most of which will help should it happen again um because at the moment there's, there's not much you can do about world energy prices itself yeah okay <clears throat> and we were we were having a discussion about um about this before we started recording um what i mean what what do you think we can kind of do to um to help if this happens again Oh, well, for example, uh, at the moment, you've got the Section 20 legislation, for example, which mm -hmm. means if you want to do a long-term qualifying agreement, anything above 12 months, you have to go through a consultation process, 60 to 90 days. Yeah. Energy markets just don't work that way. You know, yeah. you're lucky if they'll hold the price for 48 hours. Yeah. So that means you can't put in long terms. Um, so when you have a broker who says, I think this is as good as it's going to get, let's lock it in for three years, you can't do it. So yeah. a suggestion to, uh, to the department is, look, let's, let's carve utilities out of Section 20. So yeah. Section 20 is there as a safeguard, but actually we think, and you have to carefully word it to make sure nobody abuses it, but we think it's, it's working against the long-term interests of the leaseholders. So we could have had a lot of people at the moment sort of saying, oh, it's terrible what's happening in the, in the world out there, but thank goodness we've still got two years left of our three-year contract. Yeah. You can't you can't do that at the moment. So that's one thing. There's 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 pricing mechanisms. So there's spot pricing versus flexi. Again, Section Twenty doesn't really let you do flexi because you you can't go to a leaseholder and say this is the price I'm going to get. You're going to go and say I'm going to get a flexible price which will change, 
And it's very hard to say to a leaseholder, do you have a comparator that you want to throw into the mix there? Because it doesn't doesn't work that way. So there's just, just ways I think we can try and improve and, and try and tweak. But you have to be careful that you don't make it, you know, open up a loophole, for example, in legislation if anybody wants to do anything bad. Um, so it's a tricky one, but there's tons of stuff going on. And we've been talking for months and months and months with, with Bayes and DLUC, as I say. Yeah, we did. We had a podcast. We did a podcast recently, which hasn't actually launched yet, um, with um, Darren McDonald from Newton Property Management and Alan Draper from EV Solutions. Mm-hmm. And and Alan and they were talking about. <clears throat> it was actually a really interesting conversation, which I hopefully you'll listen to when when it comes out. There was a we were talking about the difference in legislation between Scotland and England of of um, being able to install. Um, um, electric charging points. And um, so we talked about how bad the infrastructure in the UK was for anyway. And I think we touched on that earlier before we started recording and, and um, you know, and, and all of these sort of things. But the one thing that my lasting memory of that podcast was something that Alan said, and that was that, that somebody lived in a block of flats. It was a, it was leasehold in, in England somewhere. Um, they had a main door entry with a drive. So it must have been some sort of um, a, a different kind of from just a block of flats with one entrance. And he had installed an, an electric charging point out the front of his house. And and when he went to sell it, he had to remove it because <laughs> lease did not allow him to um, to actually have it in the first place. So that there seems that there's, you know, there's there's a there's a, a, a raft of things that going against um electric charging points in the UK anyway, or certainly leasehold, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I talked to, I won't name the firm, but I was talking to one firm that installs these, and they're saying probably about 90% of the orders they've got they can't fulfill because the lease won't allow it. And I did say, well, what about the 10%? How are you doing that? And they say, well, either the lease is very unusual and says that the landlord can do improvements, yeah. Um, or it's been where an RMC has said, we don't care what the lease has said, we will take the risk and we'll just do it. Yeah. Um, but but the rest they can't do it because it's it's technically an improvement, and it, you know it does get really complicated if if not everybody has a car space and not everybody has an electric car. Who pays then for the yeah. you know the pipe to be improved and the pipe the electric wire coming in? Mm-hmm. Is it fair that the five people who are electric cars pay for that and then the sixth one is, is piggyback them, or do you charge everybody? But then the people who will never have an electric car are saying, well, why am I paying for something I'll never use? So yeah, it's it's tricky. It's tricky. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Okay, so I've been um, a very tenuous link onto on tech, but um, in a recent white paper, the organisation looked to the impact of tech on the in, on the industry. The overriding outcome is that the industry needs to do more to embrace technology. Is there a roadmap, and can you tell us more about the plans for that going forward? Well, TPI itself is not a tech provider. You know, we're yeah. we're a professional body. But what we do try and do is identify tech tech firms that could have a solution that our members can use. So yeah. again, from my own experience, I'm I'm looking at simple control mechanisms for smaller heat networks. So rather than just a a dumb set of boilers that maybe has a thermostat, what can we do a little more intelligently about return temperatures, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we look at those and the program part. Uh, the partners program that we have in place helps those uh, such firms get in touch with managing agents we'll we'll identify those firms talk to them how does this apply and how will it work under a you know for example leasehold um so that we do that sort of uh, tech research if you like we also interact with government on the on sort of the bigger say, weightier tech topics such as building safety management golden thread residence engagement because the idea there is to find a practical way forward that gives government 
the outcomes that it's looking for, but doesn't saddle leaseholders with massive costs. Um, so we do get involved in that as well, just trying to put some practicality involved in it. But say we're not a tech house, so we don't go out and say, you know, we'll, we need to find some software that does A, B, and C. There's enough. There's providers that do that. Yeah, but I guess, but you 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 do look at the the impact of technology on your on Absolutely. your. I, I, I said I, your members and these sort yeah. of things. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, an example was the resident engagement. I think I, I think it's still current at the moment that you have to contact every adult above sixteen years old by the mechanism of their choice, and we're going okay, that's just not going to work because A, we don't know who the adults are inside yeah. a flat. Yeah. B, can you, can you really think, um, you know, somebody's going to give, give out the contact details of their two 16-year-old daughters to a complete stranger? Yeah. Um, that's not going to happen. And what if the, the choice of contact is, you know, I'm being silly about it, but TikTok, you know, yeah. <laughs> how, how, how you expect a managing agent to manage all of these different communication mechanisms and track it and record it, et cetera, et cetera. You know, can we please be practical here? Yeah, I guess though, though from a um, being from a tech background, and obviously my other um, the other side of my life being CPL software. I mean, we we do <clears throat> offer within our software. How do you want to be communicated with um, for the for the for the for the homeowners or um, people living in the in the flat? And 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 currently, we have email and snail mail. Yep. Yeah, um, which is which is. A, which is, has worked well up to now. But actually, personally, I don't use email anymore to talk to people. I tend to use WhatsApp and, and, um, or Skype or something like that. So, um, and in fact, um, my other business, Inside Legal, is currently looking at how this communication thing, the, these communications flow. And, and one of the big question marks now on, on people's lips are, you know, are, are you going to are you going to interface by um, direct messenger like WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger and these sort of things? So, so mm. I, I think that's coming. Um, I, you know, personally, I use WhatsApp. Business, I use email. But, but I, I think that is going to I think that is going to come. I mean, we do do SMS, obviously, but, but, but again, that that's seen as old hat now. No, I, I hear you, but don't forget you're also limited by legislation because yeah. a lot of leases stipulate that communication must be by snail mail. And so you have to do it that way. And we have pointed out to government the cost of that. And it's, it's, it's actually, I think, tens of millions of pounds in terms of stamps, et cetera. And we, yeah. again, we've given one of the things you can do as a professional body is we go to our members and say, what is, what's your cost infrastructure? And we give that to government saying, well, this is, this is actually what it costs leaseholders because they w those costs will get passed on to them. Can you please update the, the legislation to bring us into the modern century and, and allow yeah. email to be um, legally used? So, uh -huh. so yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. We've still got quite a way to go on it, yeah. but that's where tech does come in because people do say this is how I want, and then you know your your software program does that for you. Yeah, yeah, I suppose that doesn't that legislation issue does not exist in in um, in Scotland, um, mm. obviously because it's because it's with the majority of its freehold. And and I actually I remember selling my product once to a to a client on the basis that everything was snail mail. This was a while ago. The basis that everything was snail mail that he did. I think he managed about 20,000 units. And and I did a return on investment um, exercise for him. And he would pay for the software. In in those days, it was um, it was capital license. And we're obviously subscription-based now. But the capital cost of the software had paid off within 18 months if he could get 25% 
of its <laughs> client base onto email and away from documents. So I mean that cost is astronomical, you know. So yeah. it, it is, uh, and I try not to be a little bit. You know, when, when I talk to government, I say when, when when you send a letter out, I'm sure it disappears into the bowels of Whitehall, and somehow it magically appears at other people's um, uh, at, at people's houses. But as your average managing agent, if I'm sending out letters, that is one of my staff or me yeah. sitting in the boardroom stuffing envelopes yeah. and sticking stamps on. Yeah. Know, it's hours and hours of work as well, which you yeah. have to which have to take. It's not it's not just the physical cost of, uh, of stamps and envelopes, which is not negligible. Um, yeah. and, and, and they can get lost in the post or at least an email. Hopefully you've got some, for, you, know, you might have a read receipt and you kind of say, well, we know that person got it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, interesting, interesting. I'm sure that's one to come back on. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, so that would be an interesting one to, 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 to think on in a year. We should get you on every year now to see where, <laughs> where technology, because before we, were, before we started recording, we were talking about autonomous cars testing in, um, in yeah. London in 2025. So definitely in a few years' time, talk about that. I actually saw one of these, and it wasn't – it was in Vegas, actually. I was in – I'd gone to Vegas for my – um, with my twin brother, actually, for a belated 50th because of um, it happened in COVID um, or in a happened pandemic when there's no travel. And actually, I saw one of these autonomous cars being tested in Vegas, and it was a phenomenal looking thing with cameras absolutely everywhere. So, yeah, interesting sight. Well, there's a big philosophical question, isn't it? It's the, the, the baby and the cliff, which is does the car drive over the baby or over the cliff? Because it has to be programmed. Yeah. To do one or the other. Um, yeah. And nobody's ever had <laughs> be an awful decision to have to make, but nobody's actually kind of managed to get over that hurdle yet. What 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 do you actually program in? To do yeah, mm. in that circumstance. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> well, <laughs> if, if you it was interesting because they asked people and they said, Oh, well, you know, you, you obviously save the baby and go over the cliff. And they said, Well, what if you were in the car? Mm, okay. <laughs> and let's just say the answer was reversed in that scenario. Yes, I can imagine. I can imagine. Um, okay, so so um, the organisation or TPI is, <clears throat> has also recently produced a, a valuable mental health resource. Has it been well received? And have you got any best advice for companies and people in the industry on how to get the most from that resource? Uh, well received, yes, in a way. I mean, it's hard to say that a survey showing... You know, people under terrible levels of stress and yeah. up to 50% of the people saying, I won't be doing this job in two years, yeah. is well received. But what it did do, I think a really big thing that it did, it made people realize they weren't alone, that there are lots of people feeling the same way. So it was well received from that point of view of people saying, thank you for that. I, I thought it was just me. Um, you know, we, we tracked it so that the stress levels are still very bad, but slightly better than they were last year. And, okay. and in both years, cladding again was a, a major part of uh, a part of that we do give advice you know what to do if people are rude to you um etc etc i think the best advice that we can give though is just again staff and managers is talk because if nothing else you, you're just sharing a problem yeah. but you can sort of say this is getting to me need a bit of time off or did you just hear that and it's, oh yeah i know that person that was like that don't worry about it it's it's a really horrible problem to go through and it's very hard to see what what to do about it because property managers are just are treated as punching bags and yeah you know it sounds a little harsh that and i can understand it because if i'm a leaseholder and i'm faced with massive massive bills i'm going to lash out at the person standing in front of me and that's yeah. almost always the property manager whose fault it is and i'm sorry whose fault it isn't and i know it's not their fault but they just happen to be the ones yeah. that have told me i've got to find twenty thousand pounds so you can see why it's happened and it's very unfortunate but it's very hard to get around it 
Yeah, no, I can imagine. And, you, and, and you're right. You know, at the end of the day, they're, they're just lashing out about yeah. the, the first person, and, and that is where they see that um, that the, the, that person standing. So I take it this um, survey you've done for the last couple of years. Are you going to continue to do it annually? I, I believe so. Uh, I mean, that's, that's one for Andrew's CEO to do. Yeah, but sure, I mean, sure, it, sure. it's funny. We it, it came about because I was thinking of it and he was thinking of it, and we just happened to be having a conversation. And I forget which one of us said it first, but it, we both said, "Oh, we're doing it. Why don't we do it together this time?" And that was when we were two separate organisations. It's obviously a lot easier now. We're merged uh, again, but it's good to see the trends. It's good yeah. good to find out what are people going on. I mean, some of the stuff that came back was so bad that we had to give counselling to our own staff um, because yeah, it's okay. anonymous. But there were some people saying, "I I just don't think life's worth it anymore." Yeah, some very heartrending stuff came through. Yeah, no, I can, I can, I can absolutely imagine that. I mean, it's a, the world. The world is a difficult place enough to to be um, at this precise moment in time. Let alone having um, other people's issues as well and in, in coming in. So, oh, someone's dialing. Something's there's some sound in the background. That's okay. okay. Yeah, so um, okay, good, good. Thanks, thanks for that. Thanks for that. Okay, so finally, we we, we normally do three quirky questions, but we did that last time you were on. Um, so I have a different couple of questions for you now. Can, who are the three people who have been the most influential to you, and why? Three people. Can I cheat a little bit and put some people together? Um, yeah, so first, you know, a fairly obvious one: parents. Because okay. um, they they mould that little piece of clay that is your your, your personality right from the get go. So parents have been a huge uh, influence and and still hope what I hope is a, a sense of values. So that that sort of frames what I do day to day. You know, I'm, <laughs> would I be proud of this? Would my parents be proud of this? And could can I do it? So that's a, a massive thing I think. Um, next up the line would be a, a chap actually I haven't thought about for a long time. So thank you for bringing it up. A guy called Dr. Graham Shelton. And he was my my tutor at college, but he he helped me get a scholarship to stay on and do a doctorate. Um, I ended up staying on his his couch for two months because I had nowhere to stay, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So somebody who who does that for you selflessly and and encourages you and pushes you through, and and that you know d- doing that changed how I thought, changed a lot about me. Um, so yeah, he'd have to have to be the second one and the third one's a company which is bp because they i was lucky enough to get uh, a place on their sort of international um scheme um myself and eight others they chucked us around the world really in at the deep end huge amounts of responsibility so 40 years ago i could write a check for five million bucks nobody nobody would ask a question um so they they taught you how to think and be self-sufficient and you know you felt there was always the safety net there if you if you needed it, but yeah. you know absolutely threw you in the deep end. So I think those those would be the three in a sense that would have changed my life um, uh-huh. in terms of work. And then you've obviously got friends who cha- yeah. change your outlooks and so forth. But um, I think I'll, I'll stick with those as sort of the, the start of a ten. Interesting, interesting. No, that was that was good. I see nobody's actually mentioned a business before so um but, mm. but that, yeah that's good and also staying staying on someone's couch is gonna you're gonna remember that your entire life <laughs> like, good i was actually as you were speaking there i was i was just thinking about um i, I i've never we jacks um interviewed me for this podcast actually and and i did three quick questions but i've not done these three and i was just trying to rack my brains to see um who um, who I would pick, and actually, you're talking about your parents, and 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 I have to say that the from from a point of view of values um, that I have, that's very much come from from my parents as well. You know, I mean, my 
Mm. My mother was a stickler. Her, her favorite saying to me was, I don't lie. So anything that comes out of my mouth, you will, is the absolute truth. And she, and she, and she, um, she is one thing she could not stand in the world with people who lied. But mm. anyway, so last wise question. Then. Sorry, yeah. sorry. No, it's just a wise woman. Yes, she was. She was. She's, um, she's um, unfortunately not with us anymore, but uh, she was. Sorry. So, okay. So favorite leadership book. Are you a, are you a lover of business books or leadership books? Your favorite book? No, I don't have one. I'd love to kind of say this is, this one's influenced me, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I just don't get into those. I mean, my version of, I read things like Freakonomics just out of curiosity. And, but otherwise, I don't really go into the, the leadership ones. Um, what... Leaders, Alexander the Great, you know the Caesars, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but that's that's a rather different type of leadership. Yes. It's, it's not one you want to learn from because I don't think they have a sustainable business model on that one. They just, I think, being a you know being a king and with an army behind you is a bit different. So, and I, I just read those because they're interesting because that's just history. But no, yeah. I, I don't go into leadership books. Um, I'm afraid not. That's Sorry, right. no, 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 no problem, no problem. It's just a, it's just a question we ask to people who have already been on the podcast. Okay, Nigel, that's been absolutely fabulous having you back on. I really do think that we should, um, as you were the first person we interviewed, I think we should do this annually and and, and see where the world has okay. moved. You know, twelve months to um, to maybe you and I happens in about a week these days, but uh, um, but but it would be good to catch up every year and see where the world has moved. Yeah. More than happy to. More than happy to. Thanks, Nigel. No, thanks, Brian. Thanks, Jax.